Let us, uh, let us pray this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that you, would, uh, that you would be with us. I pray that you would um, touch our lives, uh, touch our hearts, uh, touch our minds as we, as we prepare to hear the word. As, uh, as I preach, Lord, I pray that you would help me to be faithful to, to the text. Help me to, to just bring out the treasures of, of your word, Lord. Help me to, to be faithful to your gospel. Help me to, um, just to focus on what it is that, that you're calling uh, me to share with folks today. And I pray that the folks who are here would hear from you and that, that your word would find purchase in their hearts. Um, that it would grow into a great harvest, Lord, that, that, um, that you would uh, just drench this place in your Holy Spirit this morning, that, that where there are things that need to be convicted, that they would be convicted, where there are things that need to be, to be drawn out of us, that you, would, that you would do that. Help us to be your people this morning, and help us to more and more uh, just grow to be Christ-like. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are uh, actually moving away from Psalms, uh, which which I am uh, eager to get away from Psalms. I'm not. I'll be honest. I I'm, I preach in Psalms all summer. It's kind of worn me out. Now I'm ready to do some some New Testament. And we're going to be doing Second Peter. And before I I kind of dive into this, um, I I want to talk for a second. Uh, and and this may be out of context. And so I'm going to tell this story as I know it. Uh, Rebecca, last what three four years ago, I was. I was listening to her talk about a horse, and I know nothing about horses, right? Like, I, I, know, that, um, I know that they're big and you ride on them and that, that you want a lot of them in your engine. I'm not sure how they get them in there, but, but I'm not a horse person. But she had a horse that had gotten very old, and this horse, um, instead of being, like, pastured with the other horses, they, they moved him to be with the cows, and so this horse spent all of his time amongst the cows. And one day she was talking about this horse, how it had come out to meet her, and it, it was acting like a cow for whatever reason. Because like, having spent no time amongst the other horses, is this accurate, Rebecca? You don't remember this, do you? <laughs> having spent, uh, you, you were talking about it. I, I'm not making it up. Having, she said, no, you're not, a, you're not a cow. Act like a horse. You know, and the, the cows greeted him when he showed up, and he... You know, and he, he apparently stopped acting like a horse and started acting more and more like a cow the more he spent time amongst the cows and the less time he spent amongst the horses. Um, and, and this is, I don't know, it's, it's a simple version of what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about identity and what it is that makes us, like what are we and are we acting like what we are? Does that make sense? Um, I, I had a couple other stories I looked at. I, I read about a, a, an eaglet. Is that it? An eagle, baby eagle, where a farmer had picked it up and, and just mixed it in with his chickens. And, uh, and the eagle never learned to fly. The eagle went out and pecked and, and never left the yard, and that was it. I mean, it was, it, was, it was kind of weird because it was an eagle that acted like a chicken. Um, and, like, as we look at our text, we're going to be in First Peter, or Second Peter. Um, this is the very introduction of this letter. Um, it's the second letter that we have from Peter. It's a little controversial, a little controversial in the early, well, actually in the last couple hundred years, because it's written after First Peter, and there's an indication that Peter has grown more sophisticated. Like, it's a little more polished, and the grammar's a little better, and, and like, there's some people who say, oh, P- Peter probably didn't write it, and it's probably the case he wrote it about 15 years later, and lo and behold, he learned to write and read better. Um, but, but Peter wrote this letter. Um, it is, uh, 
It is written primarily to a Gentile audience, which means not Jewish people. And that's going to play a lot into what we're going to be talking about in the coming months. And and we're going to be looking at something that would easily be kind of a Passover couple of verses. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. I'm going to see if I can keep 1 and 2 down to under 30 minutes. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Um, anyway, uh, so as we, as we dive into these first two verses, these are the sorts of things that you would, I mean, it's easy. And in fact, actually, when I started like studying the first chapter of the book, I said, well, we're going to skip those. We'll just read them real quick. But, but there's actually some good stuff here. And the reason there's good stuff is Peter begins by sort of touching on identity. He begins by touching on who he is, who they are, and what that means to the full letter. And actually, we're going to look just briefly at the very last couple of verses of the book. He ties the beginning to the end because the first two verses are huge. They're important and they foreshadow the major message we're about to get. Everybody with me? Um, and the major message focuses on who are these people and should they pretend to be something they're not? You all with me? Sort of. Um, so we're going to dive into this um, real quick. Also, the other thing, there's a major theme here is like in the early church, there were a ton of false teachers and especially amongst the Jewish converts who would then go to Gentile converts and tell them, hey, Christianity came from the Jewish faith. So you have to become Jewish in order to become Christian. There's one of these early heresies, the Judaizers and the, the legalists and whatnot, and, and Peter kind of touches on this in this coming letter, and, and that's going to be a big deal. And, and the opening of the letter affirms some huge truths. So we're going to start, and actually we're going to cut verse one and half. So it's like we're doing three whole verses. Haha, it's a trick. Um, and Peter starts out, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, um, Greek is a funny language and translation is a funny thing because Greek words change their meaning based on the setting and based on the context. And um, like some words have multiple meanings. I, I know that's a weird idea to, to grapple with in our in our context, but trust me, it's cool. Um, see, that would be an example. It's cool in here, but it's cool anyway. Um, <laughs> so servant, as it's used here, is the Greek word doulos right? My pronunciation is terrible. And so if you try to quote me on this to somebody who knows Greek, like in another city, I imagine, I don't know, maybe Craig, he was there, so he might speak Greek still. Um, Doulos meant slave. And so actually what Peter is saying is a doulos and apostolos of Jesus Christ. So a slave Um, And why is slave the usage here? Well, um, it's the usage because, um, first off, in the ancient world, like the the idea here is not the same as we think of slave now. We think of slave now and we think of American slavery, right? We think of chattel slavery where people had no rights and they were like, you know, that you could could kill your own slaves and they couldn't own property and they couldn't. Like an ancient slave was, was somewhat autonomous and you could have periods of slavery and it was a way like if you had trouble with your farm, like you had a bad year, you could become a slave for a year and continue to work your farm and work for someone else at the same time and like get the money to save your farm. Like it was, it was a very different kind of concept. In this setting, a, a slave of Christ 
would be somebody who has been bought by Christ, which is something Paul talks about, right? We know this idea, you know, um, we're, we're bought by Christ, like purchasing us with his blood on the cross, like we are saved through Christ's sacrifice for us. So we are, we become his servants, his slave. Um, but the slave would have a degree of authority to the person that he represents. So you might send a doulos somewhere to speak on your behalf, right? Or to purchase property or to go and like interact with a neighbor or to go to, you know, you know, the market and sell your goods. Like a doulos in this setting would refer to somebody who has authority. And it's authority that is not his own, but authority that is invested in him by his, by his master. Now, why am I spending so much time on this? I'm spending time on this because um, it's something that's easy to forget, especially amongst ministers, right? A slave only has authority because his master has given him authority. Pastors, preachers, elders, everyone, like we only have authority within the church and all authority within the church is rooted in our belonging to Christ. Y'all with me? So, like, as I stand up here and I talk, I, I, as pastor here, I have a degree of authority. And my authority is rooted purely in the fact that I belong to Jesus and I'm speaking from the scriptures. If I suddenly start jumping out of the scriptures and preaching sort of my own opinion, guess what? That authority dries right up and I'm speaking out on my own. You all with me? Um, if I were to stand up here and tell you, um, you know, hey, God wants you all to pitch in $3,000 this week to buy me a new car. Like, that would be me speaking of my own authority, right? And actually, technically, there's a commandment against that, right? You shall not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's what it refers to. It refers not to saying, like, God's name when you swear. It refers to this idea of speaking. God said this, and in reality, it's my opinion, Right? It's taking God's authority inappropriately. And so as Peter starts, he's saying, listen, I am speaking as a servant and as a representative of Christ. I belong to him. I am nothing more. And it's easy to forget that. It is easy to forget that, that we as believers are called to be doulos. We're called to be representatives of Christ. And so when I approach a situation, I might say, I want this. My rights dictate that I can demand this. But Christ tells me I, can, I, I need to put my rights aside. I need to put my wants aside in favor of serving his purpose. Everybody still with me? The identity, the identity of a believer is as a representative of Christ, as a servant of Christ, as somebody who is going out and doing the work of Christ. Um, and an apostle... Apostle means messenger. Um, specifically, in the early church, it was an office that could only be held by people who had met or seen the like, like Christ Himself, you know, in, in bodily form. And so, like Paul is an apostle because he encountered Christ on the road to Emmaus, right? Peter is an apostle because you know he traveled to Jesus and was taught by him and everything else. Um, the, the apostolic office, it doesn't exist anymore. And so there are people who say, well, I'm apostle so-and-so. No, you're not. can't say you're an apostle if you didn't meet Jesus physically. Like, it is, that is a done deal, right? Like, period. And so Peter is saying, listen, I am somebody who has met Christ. I am his messenger, and I am his slave. And all of my authority to speak to you comes out of this. Oh, my gosh, I spent like eight minutes talking about that one half a verse. 
never going to get there. To those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Now, this is where it's going to get fun. Watch this. He's talking to Gentiles. He's talking to folks who, by nature, are excluded from God's promises. Right? Like, so the ancient Jews, they believed that they were the children of the covenant, because they were. They were God's promised chosen people. Um, they were the people that were descendants of Abraham's. They were, they were the recipients of the promise. And since the exile, a, I don't know, five, about 550, 500, well, actually six something, 600 years before this was written, um, the Jews had put all of their money on this. Um, we are the children of the promise. We are called out. And so things like circumcision and being separate and the dietary laws and how you dressed and the way you tended your hair and the way that you spoke and the kinds of schools you were allowed to go to and everything else became huge emphasis for Jewish folks because they needed to be set apart because their identity as Jewish people, as the children of the promise, as the children of God's like, like promised Messiah and everything else, like, like these people, this is everything to them and we are separate. And we are not like you. And what, what Peter is saying here is, hey, God has brought you in and made you one of us. You have faith that is like, is like in, this, um, in this God's economy thing, it is as precious as ours. You are one of us. You have been adopted into our family. Um, mind you, this is not because folks deserved it. It's not because like, oh, look at how wonderful and special you are. I'm bringing you into my house. Nope, it's because God has mercy and God has grace on his people. It would be the rough equivalent of me being drafted to be a Navy SEAL. Right? I, in no way. I, <laughs> I am not, right? I'm old. I'm creaky. Not very disciplined. I'm kind of overweight. I, you know, can't do... 99% of the physical stuff they do, I can barely swim. I, if anybody's ever gone hunting with me, you know, like, <laughs> the safest guy in the world, in, you know, is going to be the guy I'm pointing the gun at because I'm going to miss. Um, like, I am not that guy. But by merit of adoption, if I were brought in and given the label and the uniform and everything else, I wouldn't deserve it, right? But, like, if I was told, oh, you can identify as this, then I am it. Um, the Jewish people were given this gift in the first place. God picked Abraham. God chose to give him this promise. God chose to bless his descendants. God chose to bless David. God chose to, I mean, these are the things that God did because the Jewish people were always good. Nope, read the Old Testament, right? Like, oh my goodness, they're really good at disobeying God, right? It's because God is merciful and God chooses to be glorified when he shows mercy. And the Gentiles, he's writing this letter to Peter saying, listen, it is God that brought you into this. You have been adopted in. Remember what you are, right? You aren't what you used to be. You are what you are now. Um, if we forget this, it would be a little like. I'm not good at sports either, so I'm going to do my sports analogy. I'm going to do my best with this. It would be like if you were traded from the Chicago White Sox to the Chicago Cubs. 
And you go from a lost and evil team to a holy and glorious team. But then you show up to practice wearing the White Sox uniform anyway. Right? And when the White Sox are in the field in the Crosstown Classic game, you go out in the field with them. And they're like, hey, you're not on our team. And the Cubs are like, hey, you're on our team. We're going to win. Come over here. Um, I just hope my uncle watches the sermons I do. Um, (laughs) So I can enjoy that. Um, Our identity transfers from the world, from lost, from unsaved, to Christ. We go from being people of wrath to people of the promise, people who are receiving mercy and grace through Christ. Um, And so that's kind of what Peter's saying here. He's saying, listen, forget what you used to be. You are one of us, and you don't have to take a detour. You're just a member of the team, right? We are adopted. We are engrafted into the tree. Like, we belong now. We are a part of the deal. And there is no qualification. There is no nothing. You don't deserve it. You just get it. It is a present. Um, so let's pick this apart a little more carefully here to those who through the righteousness of our God. Now watch this through the righteousness of our God and savior, Jesus Christ, through his righteousness. Um, there's a lot of theology packed in this and we're trying to make it as not complicated as I can. Um, we are given Christ's righteousness We are able to be adopted into God's family because of Christ's righteousness put on us, right? It would be like, and I love this example, if me and the smart kid in school, if there was a mix-up in the office and they were to put my dumb kid file in his spot and his smart kid file in my spot, and then we apply for colleges and the colleges all look at the smart kid and they see the dumb kid, me, And then they look at me and they think, oh, that guy's really bright. Pretty sure that's how I got into college in the first place. Um, Christ, he was righteous. He was perfect. He committed no sin. In fact, actually, he knew no sin. Like, Like there was no sin in him. He was blameless. But he was tortured and killed and died a sinner's death. Um, that sinner's death was the death I deserved. It was the death you deserved. It was the death you deserved. It was the death all of us deserved. Christ died that death on our behalf. And we are made righteous. So when God looked at Christ on the cross, he saw my wickedness. And when he looks at me, he sees Christ's righteousness. And so through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, we have received a faith as precious as ours. So through his righteousness, through his goodness, we're made whole. We're made clean. We're made acceptable to God. We're adopted into God's family. Um, we're brought in in full membership. Now, this is a big deal because um, in the ancient world, like this is something we can lose in the translation here. In the ancient world, adoptions were considered ironclad. If you were adopted into a family, if you were brought in, and Paul uses this adoption analogy a lot, and I think Peter, uh, Peter elsewhere acknowledges, hey, Paul's stuff is hard to understand, but it's scripture like he is totally right about everything, right? Like Peter is all about Paul's writing. And I think he would have known this adoption thing. And I think this plays in here. Um, adoption is ironclad. If an emperor, like I'm reading a book by Marcus Aurelius right now. Marcus Aurelius was the emperor of Rome in the beginning of the Gladiator movie, that guy. Um, and he was adopted by Caesar, right? And he was considered to be a full member of Caesar's household. And ultimately, he became Caesar seamlessly because he was considered to be his son. 
And there's a bunch of other weird stuff that goes with that. We're going to get into it. Like, but like the idea here is he was never doubted as a child of Caesar. He was never doubted as a member of that royal family. We are adopted by Christ's righteousness, through his righteousness, through his cleansing, through his remaking us, and we are members of God's household now. And we receive faith. Um, it's important to understand faith is what saves us, right? But it is not something that I try real hard to have. It's not something that I... It's a gift from God. It is put in me. It is as I am in relationship with God, that faith blossoms out. Um, a lot of y'all are out there cutting right now, right? And you got grain and chickpea and, I don't know, corn, maybe. <laughs> um, the corn comes out of putting the seeds in the ground. The seeds grow up and the plants produce corn, right? I become a follower of Christ and things grow out of that. I bear fruit. This faith is kind of a part of that. By being adopted into the family, that faith is a part of it. Um, we have faith that is just as good as the Jews' faith, just as good as this faith. Like, we are members of the household. We don't have to work. We don't have to convert. We don't have to do anything. We are, well, hold on. We have to follow Christ, but we don't have to become Jews in order to become Christians. We don't have to follow the rules in order to be saved. We are saved, and therefore we follow the rules. Um, verse 2. Yeah! <laughs> Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Um, the knowledge of God. That word knowledge there is a big one, and it's an important one. Um, to know something, as this word here is used, is, is not a small thing. It means to not just know it in your head, but know it through the core of who you are, right? Um, it is to know something to the very fiber of your being in a way that is impossible to forget and impossible to act contrary to, right? Um, I cannot act differently than this knowledge because it permeates my being. It's a little like breathing, right? How many of y'all have to think 24-7 to remind yourself to breathe? Pretty much no one, right? Like, there's, there's a part of the machine that just knows this is what we do now. We breathe, right? Um, this knowledge of God, this knowledge he's talking about is this reality. This is who I am. I am adopted into God's family. I am a child of God. I am made new. And this knowledge that I have in my head that permeates into my very soul, into my marrow, into my DNA and my, my microbiology, like it, it is throughout me, um, it shows up everywhere. I can't get away from it. It becomes a whole new thing in me. Um, like I am changed to the core of who I am. So we're going to jump all the way to the end of the book. Now watch this. Um, Peter ends it um, all. He says, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you will not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, now and forever. Amen. Now, why did I quote that? Because there's another word there, knowledge, right? Um, in the ancient world, there was this poetic form called a chiasm, and it's spelled with a C-H, but anyway, um, a chiasm. And a chiasm is where you would bookend an idea with repeating words or repeating phrases to emphasize the main point. In this case, knowledge is in the beginning, knowledge is at the end. The main emphasis being I know God, and it changes me. 
My identity is different because I know God. If I had a broken identity, if I was still lost, I couldn't know God, right? The very act of knowing God is to become different. Um, It changes us just by the knowledge of who God is. I can have knowledge of understanding about God and not know God, mind you, right? But to actually know God, like not just facts, not, oh, I've read the Bible 25 times and I didn't. Yeah. It, to know God is to be in relationship with him. Um, the relationship we have with God changes our identity. It changes our affiliation. It changes our team. It changes our everything. And we become new people as a result. We are adopted. We are reformed. We, we stop being what we were. And we become what we are now. Um, my examples were negative, though. Right? It's a little like the cow or the horse becoming a cow or the eagle becoming a chicken. Right? But in this case, it would be God has stepped into the chicken coop, picked up the chicken and said, you're an eagle now. You know, and, and brought it out. And well, the eagle might not believe it. And sometimes it might want to go back to being an eagle. Right? Or to being a chicken. Sometimes it wants to go back to what it was. We as saved people, some days we want to go back. Sometimes we want to doubt that. We want to look around at the people around us and say, don't like you, don't like you, don't like you, so I'm not a member of this. Right? I always find it frustrating when people criticize the church universal and they say, Christians today, as though they're not a Christian too. You know what I mean? Um, or when they look at one guy and they say, you are not one of us because of. Well, if you're adopted in Christ, guess what? It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter where you've done, where you've been, what you've done, who you did it with, who you did it to. Any of that stuff, like all of that stuff is gone because adoption into God's family is a brand new thing. It is a remaking and a reforming of us to the core. There is a struggle that goes with this. Right? There's a struggle that goes with this, and that is that we want to remember the past, and we want to fall back into old pattern. We want to be something different, or we, sometimes we want to be not a part of the team. Sometimes we want to be where things were. Sometimes we look back at our own simple way, and we say, man, I wish I could go back to that. Or we say, you know, like I, I use this example a lot, but I, I talked to a young gal who um, was in rehab. I, I was working as a chaplain there, and she was like uh, 17, I think, and she had had a line of work that is a very old profession for a long time as a part of supporting her drug habit. And we were having this conversation about Jesus, and she said, you don't understand, God will never accept me because of who I was. Like, God will never forgive me for all of that stuff. And I say to her, you know what? If you try hard enough, God isn't going to forgive you. God forgives you because Christ did it for you. His righteousness makes you righteous. You don't have to be good enough. He loved you and adopted you in any way. You are this new person. All of that stuff is the past, and it is all dying away, and it is gone. And you just have to grow into this new identity that you have. Um, So what do we do with this? Like, what's the application? First off, the main point, right? Um, To know God is to become a new person. Right? The objective of the Christian life is to become his people, is to grow into what we were meant to be, is to become um, identity, core, like soul, mind, body, spirit, everything, this adopted member of God's family. And ultimately like his doulos, his representatives who belong to him. Um, 
what's our GROW with this? Now, GROW is our acronym, right? It is the Steps of Discipleship. So G um, is, is give, give it to God or submit to Christ. And then, like, applying this little just couple verses begins with recognizing that we're a member of the family. That as much as I may not like the guy next to me, we're brothers in Christ. As much as I may feel like an outsider, I'm adopted into the family. As much as I may not feel like God likes me all that often, sometimes, you know, it's easy to say, oh, man, God must hate me. Um, I'm adopted in. And I have to set aside my old life. I have to set aside my old way. I have to set aside sometimes my own reasoning about what is what. Because that's what the Gentile Christians are doing in this, right? Like they're saying, oh, well, I need to become like a Jew in order to become like a Christian. Nope, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't work that way. Set aside your reasoning in this and understand you don't have to earn it. You are just adopted. You just belong here. And it's hard, right? It is hard because we want to identify with our sin. And we want to identify with our past and our old life. But we are adopted and we are members of Christ. Um, R is repent and renew for grow. Repent and renew. And the beginning steps of this is we have to recognize that we were lost and now we're saved. We have to submit to Christ regularly. We have to sometimes every day put to death this old self, right? Um, I had an interesting conversation with a, with a guy um, a few weeks ago, he's a, a minister now, but he was a meth addict, and he was in rehab for a long time, and he and I were talking about, about whether or not addiction is a lifelong thing, or if it's a temporary thing, or if becoming a Christian means that never happened, or that you're no longer an addict. And, and his point, which I thought was kind of strong, he said, um, if I forever and ever say this is who I am, then I'm not a new creation. Like, if I forever and ever say I am a meth addict, I am not a new creation. Can I go around people doing meth? Nope. But that's not who I am anymore. I am this new man. Um, can I say I am lost? Can I say I am a sinner? Can I say I am broken? Um, that's who I would be without Christ, but now I am a new creation. And so we have to own it. We have to put it aside, and we have to be something different. Um, we have to recognize this is my objective. This is my identity. This is who I am. Um, o is own it. How do we own this? Well, it begins by asking yourself the very difficult question, Am I bearing fruit? Like, what do I look like at the end of the day? Right? I, uh, one of my favorite analogies, and I, I got to not use it because otherwise I'd talk about it every week. Um, if I decided tomorrow that I'm going to be a vegan, I'm not deciding this. But the very first thing I would have to do is stop eating meat. <laughs> right? Don't drink milk. Like, I would have to stop doing those things. Like, if I'm going to be this thing, I've got to be it. They would say, well, I'm a vegan, but I'm doing it on the installment plan. I'm down to eight steaks a week and cheese. But I'm going to cut back to seven steaks a week in a month or so. Got to ease into these things. Well, no, then you're just not a vegan. Like, <laughs> there ain't no discussion. You're not one. You are one or you ain't one. Um, the reality is, if we are going to become people who are, like, in our identity and in our core, um, adopted into that family. If we're going to be Christ's righteousness, we have to bear fruit in harmony with it. We have to drive at that reality and live it. Um, we have to, you know, say, hey, this part is over, this part has begun. I'm going to be a vegan tomorrow. I've got to stop eating meat and stop drinking milk and move away from Montana probably because I don't think you're allowed to be one here. 
Um, <laughs> I have to be different. I have to ask, does my life reflect the life of a doulos of Christ? Does my life reflect the fact that I am an adopted family member? Um, is this what I am? We have to own our new identity. Um, in order we work it in. Well, it begins, part of it is owning it, like, is studying and knowing what it is. What does it mean to be a Christian? Like, and you can read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Great collection. This is what a Jesus follower looks like. You know, we turn the other cheek. We love our neighbor. We take care of the poor. We do these things. Um, and then we ask ourselves, we look at it like a mirror every day, and we say, do I look like that? Right? I, uh, I read a book by Arnold Schwarzenegger years ago. Uh, he wrote books at some point, um, but he talks about his bodybuilding process and how he would like figure out, and he would take pictures of himself and look at them and then critically analyze, oh, look, my rear deltoid isn't right, and he'd circle it, and he'd like write down a list of things that he had to do in the coming months in order to get his deltoids to look like the front deltoid. And you're like, all right, well, I've got to do less of this exercise and more of this one so that they even out. Oh, look, my right leg is slightly larger than my left. Okay, so here's what I've got to do. I gotta, and, like, every little detail, and he would nitpick himself. And then, like, in the long run, you would see this other photo where he'd take a progress. All right, well, I look like this now, and this is improved, and this is suddenly out of whack. And, and he would do these things every few months to compare, am I looking the way I'm supposed to? As believers, we take this ideal, who is Christ, right? Christ is that ideal. And we look at him and we say, do I love my enemy? Do I serve my family? Am I, like, turning to God's word when I struggle with sin? When I'm exhausted and overwhelmed, do I talk to the, to the Father? Or do I eat a bunch of junk food and watch Netflix for eight hours? Not to use that as an example for any particular reason. Um, am I looking like... <laughs> Was that my daughter? <laughs> and sometimes God blesses us with little mirrors that point it out for us. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, we, we look at it, do I look like Christ or do I look like this? What do I need to change in order to look like Christ? How do I make adjustments? What do I need to work at? What do I need to work at? What do I need to work at? Because if I'm going to be an eagle, I've got to act like an eagle, Right? Be a follower of Christ, if I'm going to be an adopted member of the family of God, I can't act like I'm still dead. Um, but that's hard because it involves this huge change. In our culture, I think, I was reading this week, and this quote has been rattling around in my head because there's not much else going on up there. Um, but this is written by uh, Kierkegaard. This was written 17-something, uh, so uh, several hundred years ago, um, in, in Europe. And, and cr- he's critiquing... Um, he's critiquing the culture around him, and he's saying, listen, we have become so smart and so comfortable that we don't do anything, right? Like, we're passionless. We have torn Christianity all the way down to this point where it is nothing more than ideas that we have and things that we pretend are true about ourselves. But it never turns into anything else. And he compares the culture, like the church at the time, he says, its condition is that of a man who has only fallen asleep toward morning. First of all comes great dreams, then a feeling of laziness, and finally a witty or clever excuse for remaining in bed. 
um, as the body of Christ, we look and we say, I need to look like Jesus. And the, the alarm clock goes off and it's time to act like Jesus. And we say, man, I do feel tired, though. I haven't been in bed quite long enough. And maybe we're falling asleep during sermons. Maybe we're, <laughs> I'm sorry, that was, I watched Jim's head nod. Um, <laughs> um, and then we say, you know what? Jesus forgave me and so I can sleep a little longer. Or we come up and say, oh, well, that guy doesn't need to be forgiven anyway. God hates him. Oh, well. And we come up with all of these reasons and we make it okay to ourselves and we just go back to sleep. And so as you're hearing me talk today, and if this is pricking at your conscience, if you're saying, man, I really don't act like an adopted member of the family of God. I don't treat my, you know, like Paul says, uh, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. If you are not loving your wife the way Christ loved the church, like you don't look like the picture. And you ask yourself, like, are you going to wake up and act like it or are you going to go back to sleep? And our culture makes it easy to go back to sleep because we know stuff and we own all the right Christian stuff and we have the T-shirt, right? We all have the T-shirt and we have this. And I showed up today and that's enough because I got up at the alarm clock and next week I can get up even later. Um, But the question is, do you look like it? Or are you a horse acting like a cow or an eagle acting like a chicken? Um, This week is the first Sunday of the month. I know my wife is pointing at her watch. I cannot do short sermons. It's just on me. Um, this is the first Sunday of the month. On the first Sunday of the month, we, we do this thing. I'm going to call my guys forward, um, and, and I'm going to talk about this a second. 